Welcome back everyone to the Crossbar Podcast. Today we have a really exciting chat that I recorded with Mark Geshwind. He is a fellow IX supporter. He's a pretty big messy stan and definitely a critic of Sebastian Haller, as anyone who follows him on Twitter will know. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Mark Geshwind. I'll put a link to it in the description, but this is the first episode in a season preview of some of the top teams in the Eredivisie. I'll be putting out some more episodes throughout this week, and next we have AZ coming up, which is a great conversation. We also have Feyenoord, and we'll finally wrap up with PSV. So look out for that. And yeah, let me know what you guys think. This was really fun chatting with Mark, um, fellow American who loves watching his Dutch football. So it is a, a quite an intriguing chat to say the least. The last Ajax season was, it was interesting. I mean, the Eredivisie, kind of a given in many years. So when it comes to domestic football, there's not really um, too too many surprises when Ajax go ahead and win, even by a large margin. Um, But I guess coming into the new season, we can just start by forecasting uh, Eric Ten Hag starting 11 and then maybe get into a couple of other things with expectations. But from my point of view, and I, I'm sure you might have a different opinion, the players who I see as really guaranteed a starting position or at least something close to that are uh, Tadic, Blind, Kravaberg, Tagliafico. Question over whether he stays or not, but um, probably him and then Martinez in defense. So In your opinion, Mark, who do you think slots in next to them? And are there any players who you think aren't necessarily on Eric's radar that you would like to see um, perhaps in place of of a couple of other um, nameless players? So I think Tali Afiko might not be as much of a lock as people think. I think Wrench is pushing him pretty hard. So we'll see on that. But the other ones, I agree. Tadic, Blin, Grobenberg, I, th- I think are the three who will basically always play no matter what's happening. And then Martinez is creeping up on that fourth spot. And until he shows otherwise, I think Haller and Klaassen are in that list as well. And I think particularly Haller just because of the price tag that he came with and because it was evidently a very Ten Hag-driven signing. He had him at Utrecht. He clearly wanted him. He clearly wanted a striker. And when you shell out a club record fee for a player, you kind of need him to do something. So I think until things get really, really, really bad with him, he is going to start every single game. So I imagine what our most frequently used team is going to be Tadich Haller, Berghaus up top, Klaassen, Gravenberg, Blintz. Tagliafico, Martinez, Timber, Masraoui, and then whoever in goal. I'm guessing it'll end up being Stecklenburg. But I just think if with that team that we're planning on using, 
there's going to be so many problems. So we can get into that. But I think as I see it currently, that's what we're going to run with at the start. And it'll be more of a gradual shift depending on who's playing poorly. Are we getting results as to whether or not he starts changing some things? We can definitely get into that because I know when we were chatting, you you said we're probably going to start going down maybe a couple of rabbit holes, uh, especially I think you mentioned Hilaire. Uh, it's no surprise, at least to people who follow you on Twitter, that um, perhaps you don't see him as highly as Eric sees him, <laughs> to, put it, <laughs> to put it nicely. Um, so I guess to kind of follow up on that, of course, you have Tadic, who has assumed this left wing position for, I guess, going on a couple of seasons now um, after the 18-19 Champions League run, where he was a phenomenal false nine. So... If Haller doesn't work out, which of course there are still questions about, even if he isn't performing at the top level, is Eric going to drop him? Would you see Eric more likely to shift Tadic back into that role, considering he's had him there before, of course? Or do you think someone maybe like Danilo, who is not as experienced, not as well known to the IX supporters, uh, or perhaps even someone else could go in and take that role? Um, if he does underperform. Yeah, so I think the first option is probably going to be Tadic. But then again, he's always had this weird thing that in the Eredivisie, he can't play Tadic as a nine. I don't really understand it. We can score four goals past Real Madrid with him in there, but we can't score against Neck and Knock. You know, it just won't happen. He can't, he can't do it. It's impossible. So... I, I think it'll be a little bit of a mixture, but I think in the bigger games, you'll still see Tadic moving into the nine. He showed that he, you know, that was kind of his backup option in the Europa League last season. And interestingly for me, the most promising thing is that in every friendly, apart from like the first couple, Tadic played as a nine, at least for some stretch of the game. And we saw it a little bit against PSV as well. So it clearly shows that he's thinking about it. The fact that he's been more willing to sub off Hilaire recently clearly shows that he's not necessarily satisfied either. And then for me, when Danilo's come on, he's looked better. Um, I think particularly against, against Leeds, for example, he looked really, really good, very sharp, suits our style of play a lot more. So, you know, while I'm big on the let's play Tadic as a nine bandwagon, I think that's undoubtedly our best lineup. I'm actually a lot more comfortable with Danilo playing as a nine in our system, even with Tadic on the left, because he is of that more like Gabriel jesus type mold where like he can play on the wing, he can drift wide and he's a lot more mobile in general and he can do more things with the ball at his feet. So you can get a dynamic where, you know, although Tadic maybe starts on the left and Danilo starts up front, Tadic can move centrally, Danilo can shift to the left. And it's just like a lot more fluid and flexible which is basically what happened when Tadic started out as a nine anyway. I was re-watching one of the games that we played away against Bayern Munich in the group stage. And, you know, there's multiple times when Tadic is still on the left, even though he started as a nine. Neres had tucked inside. Donny had kind of taken his place as the nine. It was just a lot more flexible and a lot more fluid, which is what I ultimately think is the best way to play soccer so i and it's the thing that's been most successful for us so even if it is danilo i'm okay with it 
But to answer your question, my guess is that he would start with Tadic there and then, you know, sort of resort to using Danilo in some of those Eredivisie games and then kind of see how it goes from there. Yeah, no, I agree about the fluid football and just kind of going off of what you mentioned about those Champions League games and even looking at someone like Danilo, who's able to, maybe he's in the nine position, but that doesn't mean that he's a, a Huntelaar type player who's really just going to be there and and in the box, just poaching, um, not really making the wide runs or the, the runs to the ball um, away from goal. So I guess to con- kind of continue this thread that we're on, I'm thinking about one player in particular, and, and you mentioned Klassen maybe being a lock for, for, um, for Ten Hag at this point, but Mohamed Kudus coming uh, off the bench, of course, last season didn't really get that much game time due to injury. Could you see him as that player who is better on the ball, perhaps even Maybe I, I was going to say a little bit, but now that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a lot more mobile than Klassen in many ways, do you think he's the sort of player to uh, come into that 10 position at some point this season? So I was really hopeful that with a full preseason and Klassen kind of returning late from the Euro, that Kudus would actually just cement his spot as the 10 starting the season. I think he definitely would have started against PSV if he had been healthy, for example, And I think his performances in all the preseason games, maybe besides one that he played in, I thought he was the best player. Um, So I do think that he is going to start putting pressure on these guys to play him more because at the end of the day, when you're as talented as he is, you can't ignore that for very long. And Claussen is Claussen. You know exactly what you're getting. And it's funny because you know, my original agenda was very much against Claussen and I, you know, appreciate all the things he did and whatever. Um, but ultimately, if you want to go to a certain level, which I think we should be aspiring to be, you know, I don't see Claussen as that guy if he's a week in, week out starter. But it's been funny because as I've hated Hilaire more and thinks that he holds us back more, you know, I've started being, I've warmed up to Claussen a little bit because I'm like, God, at least he's not that bad. But, um, but I think there's a role for Claussen in this team. Uh, you know, being more of a pinch hitter type player who comes on in big games when we need a goal. And then in the Eredivisie, you can start him virtually whenever you want because he's, you know, he's still good enough. He's a solid level player. He'll get you some goals. Totally fine with that. But like you said, Kuz just offers so much more and raises your ceiling to a level that Klaassen can't even dream of getting us to. And at the highest level these days, just look around at the elite teams you know, your Chelsea's, your Manchester City's, PSG, all these guys, you look at the profile of midfielder that they're trotting out there. It's incredibly technical. It's mobile. You look at your like Mason Mounts, your Kevin De Bruyne. You cannot just be this guy who hides from the ball and pops up with a goal every once in a while, because while it might look nice when you do get your goal and you say, oh, you can't really criticize him. He scored a goal your overall level of play and the amount of chances that you're actually going to create go down. And I think so many people have failed to recognize that with the combination of both Haller and Klaassen. And I think people are seeing it a little bit more now just because the result wasn't there uh, against PSV. But the longer that this goes on, I think we'll start seeing that. So kudos has to be in the team, get him healthy, you know, 
if injuries are starting to become a problem, which I don't really think they are. I think people are a little harsh with him on that. It's not like he's got repeated muscular injuries and he's not taking care of himself. And, you know, there were two freak accidents. You know, he, he blows up his knee in a contact injury against Liverpool. He, you know, recovers from it. Clearly we did something with the training staff that mismanaged it. We probably brought him back too early. He re-aggravates it. And then from that point on, you're being very delicate. And then this one in preseason, again, it was a very awkward sort of collision. It's an ankle injury. It's not like, again, he's like Arjen Robin who's pulling his hamstring every five minutes. So I think people need to get off his back a little bit and just let him get into things naturally once again. And look, we have so much depth now. I'm totally fine starting Klaassen over him in 50% of Eredivisie games. Totally fine. Let's just take care of him because at the end of the day, if we want to actually do things in the Champions League, we need him. We need Mohamed Kudus. It's as simple as that. Yeah, really, really insightful, honestly. Um, and I'm glad you kind of finished your answer with mentioning the sheer depth that this squad has. I think PSV, you mentioned, are there's a debate as to whether maybe their starting 11 is a, a tad bit stronger than ours. I, I'm not necessarily in agreement with that, but I do think that overall especially compared to the teams below PSV, Feyenoord, AZ, et cetera. There's just so, so much depth in this IX team that shifting gears to just thinking about the upcoming season in terms of predictions, at least with the league and the Dutch Cup, I really think there aren't any excuses with this team to not win I, uh, both of them together. So I guess ignoring PSV, ignoring Feyenoord, the fact that they may or may not have some really good, uh, really good play this season. In what ways do you think that the IX team itself could fail to live up to that expectation? If you see where I'm going with that. Yeah. And I mean, I think it has to do with what Ten Hag rolls out because, you know, I, I remember I tweeted earlier after PSV smacked Galatasaray like four or five nil or whatever it was that, you know, I, I was very excited to see a rejuvenated PSV team. I think they should have been a lot better last season, especially with Malin. I mean, Malin, Madueke, Gakpo is just a phenomenal front three. Um, but maybe it's going to take, it took Schmidt maybe a little bit of time to get going, et cetera. But I remember tweeting like Madueke, Gakpo, Zaavi, and Goza is probably a better front four than ours as currently constructed. You know, if we're going to roll out that Tadic, Haller, Berghaus, Klaassen front four, I'd prefer theirs. It has more pace. It has more creativity. Um, I would take, you know, Goetz's guile over Klaassen's goals. You know, Gakpo and Madueke, very, very good 1v1, as we all experienced, particularly with Madueke. And for me, I think Zavi is a little bit more clever than Haller. He offers you a little bit more on the ball. And so that's where... I think we could run into problems if Ten Hag is very stubborn and he thinks that that's his best front four and we start trotting that out week in, week out, we could start dropping some points and PSV pick up a little momentum. I mean, they've been on fire to start the season. They've been crushing everybody. Who knows? I mean, my dream in a way, crazy, kind of crazy to say it's a dream, but I hope that we start a little bit slow and PSV just start off, you know, five and oh, they've won all their games. They're really flying because I don't think we do anything this season of note in Europe, unless we quickly realize that we need to change the team. And I could see that happening. So if you, you know, if you're to say, how do we not achieve our goals this season? I think it has to do with like Ten Hag stubbornness and can he get the lineup right? 
because like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of pieces on this team and a lot of them have very good claim to start. So how you fit all of those guys together, you know, people have been talking about Blint at left back, Martinez at center back with Alvarez and Gravenberg in midfield. Like where do you incorporate wrench Antony and Berghaus? Do you play one on the left, one on the right, you know, Kudus Klaassen. There's just a lot of moving pieces here. And I have a very clear idea of what I want and what I think would be best, but I think Ten Hag might still be figuring that out. I think he has his idea of what he might want, but it's going to take a few games to get this going as we try and reintegrate Anthony back into the team, as we integrate Alvarez back into the team. So that's my biggest reservation going into the season is can Ten Hag find a lineup that works with all these different pieces? Yeah, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about we have Neck on Saturday in the, the Eredivisie opener, perhaps the best start would be a very, very boring 60, 70 minutes. Lasa Shona scores a couple of free kicks here and there, maybe some drop points. We'll see. <laughs> maybe I would do anything. Thing. I would do anything to see you Shona bag another free kick in the arena. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so moving on, we're, I think we're about maybe halfway through our chat. And I, I was thinking back to when you and I met in person for the first time and one of the most interesting points I think you made, and I, I might be misquoting you a little bit here, but there's there's this conception that with the IX Youth Academy, maybe it's almost like a, a magical conception of look at all of these amazing players coming through, they're world class, they're this, they're that, and not to bash any players at all, but a lot of the players that we've seen in recent years, you. I think you mentioned uh, Jurgen Ecklenkamp as the prime example. Um, they're not necessarily your star players or maybe not even anywhere close to that. They're really just breaking into the first team, providing some solid cover, maybe 600, 700 minutes across the season is that sweet spot. So with that being said, and I know you watch a little bit of, of Young Ajax and some of the youth teams, have you seen any players recently that have caught your eye um, with either either one of those profiles, maybe an Echelon Camp type player who comes in. I think even Masrawi at one point was that player earlier in his career who comes in and is really just that cover, um, but hasn't taken it to the next level. Um, do you see anyone that's like that at the moment? And then maybe, maybe not. Do you see anyone who is really showing that star potential? Yeah. So I think the, I remember that too. And I think that conversation was largely around the fact that we are, we have such like a privilege and a luxury with the IX Academy that all these players that come out will be serviceable to an extent in the Eredivisie. So, you know, that these guys, like, even when they don't make it, you see the likes of like Shane Nunali and Danny DeVitt's like having very respectable, solid careers in the Eredivisie because they came through the most competitive academy in the netherlands they're still very good players they just didn't quite cut it for Ajax. so the the point around that was it's so frustrating whenever we sign players to be backups because we have those littered throughout the academy i'm always very comfortable you know throwing in you know whether it's the timber brothers or any of those types of guys in for a few air division games rather than signing, you know, a guy like Sean Kleiber for 5 million euros, because, you know, no disrespect to Kleiber, he's totally fine, totally serviceable, 
we've got hundreds of guys in our academy like him. And then you can save that money and eventually use that money to really address the key areas in the squad where you need a star player because that's what it should be about. You have your academy, your academy fills out most of the squad, and then you see where do I lack quality? I spend money there. And then hopefully every three, four years or so, you get a real gem who's a superstar like your Gravenbergs and Delicks and Frankies and Donnies and et cetera. So to answer your question, I think one guy, for example, who to me is nothing special, totally above average, will be a solid air to busy player at some point in his career is Yori Boss, the, the left back. And because there have been some conversation of like, if Tagliafico leaves, should we sign a new left back, all this type of stuff. And I'm kind of sitting there going, okay, unless we can get a world-class left back, you're, you know, or like a world-class potential left back, like an Owen Vindahl, or um, I remember throwing this name out there, but it's obviously not going to happen. But this guy, Javi Galan from Puesca, superb, superb player. If we could get like a really talented fullback, fine, go for it. But otherwise... We've got Wrench who can play there. And then at that point, we've got Blint who can play there, Lissandra who can play there, et cetera. And then at that point, if we need a, you know, a more natural left back to play every once in a while, Yori Boss. He's looked fine in preseason. He's nothing incredible, but he's very serviceable. If you need him to play exactly as you said, like 600, 700, 800 minutes, Dutch Cup, random games like that, like just use him rather than signing a guy for three, four, five million to maybe be like your cover and end up not really playing. So I think he's definitely one who I can see filling that void. And actually going back to this, there was a lot of conversation over the summer, I'm sure you're aware, of people saying we should sign a backup striker for Haller because Traore left. And it's just like, again, why? Danilo is totally serviceable. He just scored like 15 goals for Tventa. Like he's a good player. He might not be world-class for Ajax, but to do the job we need him to do, totally fine. You keep him, you eventually sell him off for... A decent profit and you go from there. So I would say, you know, Danilo doesn't totally count because people see him and know what he did on loan, but I would say Danilo and Yuri Boss are definitely two guys that are going to, you know, be those bench players who will have uh, useful minutes for us. Um, I think Kenneth Taylor could end up being that type of player. I do have higher hopes for him, but he's just not totally taking off as much as people probably thought. Um, seems to have stagnated a little bit. When he plays, you're like, oh, he's a good player. He's a good player. But he rarely wows you with anything that you're like, wow, this guy could really be a top player. Like you saw from Gravenberg from, you know, the age of 15 or whenever anyone first started seeing him play, you were just like, okay, this guy is different. So I think Kenneth Taylor could end up being that guy, but a little bit more of an elevated version of that. Um, and then in terms of the current young Ajax crop of guys who I think could potentially really make that next step, the only one I'm really seeing is Keon Fitzjim. I had super high hopes for Sontia Hansen, but he seems to have taken a big, big step back. I don't know what's going on with him and Univar, frankly, um, whether it's mental or not, you know, maybe they, they, they really just thought they were going to be, you know, the next big thing from a very, very early age, particularly Univar. Maybe he stopped working a little bit. Not exactly sure, but if those two can get back on track, which we should really be helping them do, playing them in their best positions, playing them every single game, giving them lots of encouragement. Cause those guys for me are the most two talented players we've got, but then Keon Fitzjim seems to be a guy like very good head on his shoulders, works incredibly hard, very good. Technically has like the profile that I want in a midfielder. And um, 
he probably won the preseason in terms of those guys who kind of, you know, you're not fully expecting him to do well. And he really stands out. He kind of reminded me of wrench probably last year and Dest the year before as that, that guy who kind of showed, okay, this, this man might be ready for the first team. Um, so I would say Keon Fitzjim is one I'm definitely keeping an eye on in addition to just hoping that Hansen and, and Univar do something moving forward. You're not going to hear any pushback on the, on the Keon Fitzjim for me, just, yeah, a, a completely brilliant player. And I think he really only broke through at young Ajax. I want to say around December, January, mm. uh, of this past season. So Given a full season with the second team, I could really see him coming into his own, getting hopefully maybe a couple or more uh, substitute appearances in the Eredivisie, especially in the Dutch Cup. That's where we've seen a lot of these young players come through. Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Hansen, actually, as well as Univar, because I think Univar is one of those players who he really has that, that almost that X factor, that flair that not a lot of players have, but the problem with him and I guess Hansen to a, a, a maybe a lesser extent is it goes back to the question of depth. We have so many attackers right now. Um, and now with Berghaus coming in, it's you're really struggling to find any opportunities for them in the first team, which I think you mentioned maybe them tracking back with, not having that same player growth and development that you would have liked to have seen, maybe not having first team opportunities is really the natural result of that. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's really great to have a, a young IX team in the second tier. They get to play some professional football. They're up against these guys who are really, I, I was on the football Aranya podcast recently and uh, Michael Statham said, these guys are making a living. So they're, they're not going to go yeah. easy on you. Um, and yeah. I think Univar and, and Hansen to a, a lesser extent have shown that they're able to do something against them, but perhaps just haven't taken that final step to really push themselves um, into the first team, maybe like a, a Kenneth Taylor has, for example. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's like a maturity thing with them as well. I mean, the fact that they weren't at the camp in Austria and all these other guys like our Johnny Marta and, you know, Max Duvall and these guys who are just not as talented as them were there, I think kind of says a lot potentially about their attitude at the moment and, you know, where they kind of see their development. And I hope that we're not like too, too harsh on them. And I get the tough love approach sometimes, but they've maybe both had it more difficult than they would have liked over the past year. I think Hansen was set back by injury a good amount. So I might have a little bit more sympathy for him, but Hopefully we're, we, we, we recognize like, Hey, these were our two gems. I mean, Hansen was on cloud nine when he came back as like golden boot from the U 17 world cup. Um, I remember I, he, I think he even made his debut for us, like basically right as he came back. And then we, you know, they really, you know, I don't even want to say fell back to earth. They crashed back to earth with just struggling performances, not really playing very frequently with young Ajax. And obviously now, I mean, that's a sucker punch to not get called up to this camp when virtually everyone else was. Um, so hopefully we are a little nicer to them in a way and continue playing them because they really do have, you know, incredible, incredible talent levels. And we should hopefully be trying to get that the best out of them. And then two other players I actually just wanted to comment on quickly were um, however you 
fucking say his name, Amarucho Van Axel Dongen or whatever. I'm gonna call him Amo. And then um, he looks very, very impressive. So I'm excited to see what he does with Young Ajax this season. And then Rasmussen has been interesting too, but I don't see him end up really making waves as a winger. He just strikes me as like a little bit too slow and like the 1v1 ability isn't totally there. But where I do think he could end up being incredibly good and potentially even, you know, a big time prospect for us is if we eventually move him to striker, he kind of gives me some Dolbergy type vibes with the way that he's like pretty crafty and kind of big, but can dribble players and kind of fights his way through things. So he'd be another one that I'm looking out for, hopefully, you know, shifting him a little bit more centrally, but uh, he definitely looks interesting. Yeah, I think I agree with Rasmussen. Um, I think Van Axel, Dongen, yeah, however you pronounce his name, um, I believe is only 16. So really just has almost unlimited upside at this point, having shown himself to to be in the running for a young Ajax position this season. All the more reason to watch, to watch them. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, and yeah, I guess with like you have you have the Rasmussen's you have you mentioned Arjani Martha earlier these players are coming through at 16 17 18 years old and whereas Univar and uh, Hansen specifically are not much older they've really been in that spotlight for quite a while so maybe there's even an element of just not having that that extra motivation or that ruthlessness to really try to break in because they've already in a sense broken into the second team. But yeah, that all of that is to say that I'm going to be watching quite a, a fair bit of young Ajax this season, just to see how they progress and to watch uh, Jay Horter hopefully um, get another True. 23 clean sheets. <laughs> True. I rarely, yeah, I wasn't really thinking about the goalkeepers, but uh, yeah, I mean, Gorter could honestly arguably potentially just be our starter, but uh, we'll see how he does. We'll see how he does. Yeah. Yeah. Time yet. Definitely. Um, but yeah, coming to the end, Mark, I would be completely remiss if we did not mention the absolute bread and butter of any Ajax season, which is the Champions League, of course. So I guess to kind of preface this, you know, knockout tournament football, as we saw the summer in the Euros, as we've seen, just name any tournament, really, it's no guarantee, even if you have the best team, that you're going to make much of an impact never mind win the whole thing um and so i guess especially with so many ix players having departed you saw ziek leave of course frankie and matthijs i don't need to tell the listeners that do you think that this season the team has what it takes to maybe not match and surpass the 18-19 season but at least get to a point where there's that same hint of excitement and and just yeah, I guess just overall excitement for what they could potentially do in Europe. I mean, talent level-wise and depth-wise, this is as good as we've had since that run, for sure. Although I think you could probably argue the 19-20 team, just that season after, when we still had Ziyech and still had Donny, that was a missed opportunity um, to make a big run. And I know we had a really good spell that year, and to get eliminated with like 10 points or whatever we had it was, was definitely brutal. Um, but certainly compared to last season, we've got a good chance this year. And the only thing that is holding it back is the fact that we're in pot three, which is tough. Um, we could get some brutal, brutal draws. The only hope that we 
Uh, the only reason why I'm hoping we potentially get PSG is so that I could maybe see all those guys play in Amsterdam. That would be fun. But yeah, so the fact that we're in pot three is brutal. We could really get fucked with that draw. And then the second thing is, again, just the whole lineup situation. Because I just think if we try and roll out into the Champions League with Haller up top, Klaassen as a 10, it's just not going to happen. We basically already saw that last year. Um, we came pretty close, but you know we were trying Traore as a 9 and Klaassen as a 10, Tadic on the left, and it just didn't totally work. It didn't look like we were really at the level of these teams. And we're not far away, and we can always compete you know, all these guys that we brought in are very talented and we still have Masrawi and we still have Lissandro and Blint and all these different types of guys. But um, if we really, really want to actually take some of these teams on, we've got to get that lineup right. We've got to get Kudus in the team. We've got to get Tadic as a nine. We have to have Anthony and Berghaus playing at the same time. Long story short, we just need our best players on the field. And will that happen? That, that, that lies in the hands of our Mr. Bald friend so we'll see uh we'll see what he does but from a talent level perspective we have it can we find the right lineup to 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 make it happen we'll see and can we get the right draw to make it happen we will also see (laughs) yeah that's that's really my go-to cliche line is especially in football and i guess just sports in general it's really all a wait and see which is kind of the the crux of the fun with it because you never really know what's going to happen but Safe to say it'll be fun to watch uh, Mr. Baldman and uh, and co this season. <laughs> and I think it's even more so this year just because like when you're in, because I think last year we were in pot two. Um, yeah, we were in pot two, which like gives you more optimism going into the season because it's just like, all right, our draw is not going to be that bad no matter what happens. And we still had a pretty tough group, obviously, with Liverpool and like Atalanta were, you know, one of the better teams you could get from pot three, but you were like, okay, this is manageable. It's one easy team in Michelang. And then, you know, if we just beat Atalanta over two legs, we basically get it. And, um, but then this year when you're just like, oof, pot three and you see those teams in pot two, I mean, pot two is better than pot one. And you see some of those teams, you're just like, all right, well, this year it is definitely draw dependent. So hopefully uh, those ping pong balls work out for us and we, uh, we get something manageable or, we just get something impossible and it'll just be fun to potentially see some top class players playing in Amsterdam. And, you know, maybe we lose every game six nil because we play Haller up front and then we realize that's not the solution. So it's a win-win in a way. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I honestly, I feel like I could, I could listen to you talk about IX all day, but um, I feel like we should probably call it given the time, but yeah, th- thanks so much, Mark, for coming on. Um, I guess just before I let you go, do you want to want to plug anything for the people listening? Maybe your Twitter, um, anything else you have going on? All I'm going to say is if you dislike Haller, toss me a follow on the timeline, Mark Yeshwin. And, uh, you know, I'm just here to chat Ajax. No need to get into fights with each other. Let's make it civil. And uh, we're all hoping for a positive result. So we'll see what happens this season. Don't you think we're done? Don't you think we're done?
Don't you think we're done?